you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Stuart Townsend. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Hi, Mads. Thanks a lot for having me. Totally appreciated. I am excited for today, Stuart. Me too. I'd like to be more excited if we had some sunshine in the UK, but we're British, so we always complain about that. But now I'm looking forward to it. That's it. So, Stuart, some people around the world still don't know who you are. Would you mind doing a quick introduction so they get to know a little bit more about you? Yeah, of course. For those, uh, for those in the dark corners of the remit of um, seeing my flowery shirts, uh, my name's Stuart Townsend. I've been in IT for 20 plus years, maybe longer. I've been in sales for 30 plus. I'll give you some context of how old I am. There's a prize if you guess what that is. Um, I started my career at Sun Microsystems, which for those of you who are quite young won't know, but they invented Solaris, they invented um, Java, invented loads of stuff, which was awesome. Um, and then Oracle bought them and I joined Oracle. So I spent sort of 12 to 14 years in corporate life uh, before then heading to Startup Land and cutting my teeth and actually doing real work uh, in small companies. So been been around a little bit. Excellent. Yeah, I, I was also, uh, do you call that, raised in the corporate world. So uh, I've... I've had my joys with that as well. <laughs> yeah, you've, Very good. You've, you've walked walk the halls and done the political thing and had coffee with people for 12 hours a day. Yeah, good old corporate land. Yeah, it, my, my only struggle and probably why, I, well, one of the reasons why I was as successful as I were was probably because I don't drink coffee. So that, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that eliminated some of that problem. But uh, yeah. So Stuart, we, we want to talk management today, and I would like to start talking a little bit about sales teams, because as you mentioned, you've been working with sales teams for a long time, and lots and lots of the people listening to this podcast is also wanting to grow their sales teams and wanting to do more, right? A lot of entrepreneurs start out small, and you know they're all eager. We, all, we are all, I'm one of them, we're all eager to grow our businesses and come better, so how do we do? What do we do? So I'm going to be a little bit biased with this response. Um, but again, just to give you some context around that. So when I was working at Sun and Oracle, um, I came across this area called business development and channel sales. Um, and I was at the time in pre-sales. So I was carrying the bags of salespeople, doing all the technical due diligence, and they were getting paid loads of money and driving the Porsches. So I saw that the grass was greener on the other side. Um, so I didn't go into what, what we term nowadays direct sales, or then we did. I went into indirect sales. And uh, for those that don't know what that actually is, it's basically you're getting, think, think of it in the world of sort of e-commerce, SEO, et cetera, getting affiliates or referrals to sell your product for you and you pay them a fee. Yeah. Um, so that, that's my background. I've worked in that for forever, like I say, more than 20 years now of trying to persuade other people to take my piece of software or my piece of hardware and then go and sell it out. Um, and for those that then think that's quite easy, it's not because it's, it's a double sale. Um, and then what I've done beyond that is obviously then go and manage teams and such and that sort of thing. So 
over the years, I've sort of managed myself and managed teams around that and managed partners and managed our sales teams. So ask away any questions around the pain of that because, yeah, <laughs> smashing your head against the wall uh, for a period of time. Uh, and not just done that in corporate as well, I've done that in you know a small 20-person company, growing, growing that to sort of like 100 people. And then I was building the channel in Zendesk pre-IPO as well. So I joined that company when there were about 200 people left at, 1500 post IPO. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think the situation a lot of business owners find themselves in is really their, you know, the business started, they're making money and they want to grow bigger. Right. So they, they want to, and, and particularly, I think particularly a lot of the, the SEO agencies and so on that I've, that I've worked with at least, they're all looking to grow. They're all looking to find that magic bullet because, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them is kind of fighting churn a little bit. So, you know, they, they have a certain amount of people coming in. They have a certain amount of people coming out, but, you know, they want to grow and it, it really requires to, to kick up the sales efforts a lot, right? So any, any particular strategies or something like that around how to, how to get sales going in a, in a relatively small agency, for example? Yeah, so so I've worked with agencies from a vendor side. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, and and those conversations have always gone the line of you know you do an SEO, but why don't you do other value added reseller services alongside that? So rather than trying to just sell your SEO services into clients, take because you've already got the trust of those clients as well, and you don't want them to churn by attaching other products and other people's services to that, it makes it more sticky. Yep. So that goes back to the aspect of, you know, going old school, you're selling sort of websites in the day, which, yeah, a race to the bottom now. Um, but selling SEO and optimizing that on Facebook ads and those sort of things is what other products are out there that can give stickiness to your, your value? So it could be things um, like with Beacon or with oh God, what's Stream Agility, where you're looking at actually reducing pay-per-click um, around that and actually reducing their spend, but increasing the value to the client around that. And attend, that's how I've sort of always operated in a sales organization is rather than sort of worrying about the churn of the customers you've got, worry about, don't, don't worry about that. Think about what's the extra value and what's the extra margin you can make on those customers and make them stickier by attaching more services. Because once you've got two or three services in that client, it's hard for them to move away. If they've just got one, they can cancel that contract tomorrow. It's, it's not a value. But if there's two or three that go across different business units or different responsibilities, it's harder to move away. And also you'll get more, more margin um, per user across that base for doing the same amount of work most of the time. You know, once you've incurred the cost of selling, you've done that, the actual management of the client is still the same. You just add an extra value because you choose services that are automated or provide more insights or make people look good, basically. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's kind of, when, when I talk with clients, customer lifetime value is always key, all right? But I see particularly a lot of small businesses trying to do way too many things and not ending up doing any of it very well. And that's definitely something you need to be a little bit careful with as well, right? But I think particularly in terms of, uh, I mean, my favorite strategy is really 
finding others who are doing it well. So if you're doing SEO, if you find someone else who do AdWords or like someone you can collaborate with somehow, right, where you, you don't need to necessarily be the expert in everything, but, you know, you can collaborate with someone else who is and therefore build that dependency and, and basically offer the clients more services that way. That's, that's definitely an option that I've seen a lot of people use quite, quite successfully. Yeah, most definitely. I think, yeah, it's a good piece of advice, Mads, and, and I'd concur with that is, yeah, don't try and be the champion of everything. Um, th- there's no point, but if you can bring in other champions that are experts in parallel services, then do that because otherwise you, you just end up, you know, the agencies, I used to be an MD of an organization called Digital Lancashire, and it was about getting digital services across the county that I live in the UK. And you see agencies that would do that. They go, right, okay, we're selling SEO or we're designing the website. Now we're becoming an expert in Facebook ads, not knowing anything about it, kill themselves over it, make no money, customers unhappy. And then they'd end up losing the business they've got already because they were poor at the other service. And it just brings your value down really quickly. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's the key, right? Like you, you definitely want to make sure you have the skill set to deliver. And, and, um, and, and it's also understanding like, you know, what the customers actually need and what makes sense, right? Sometimes I see people just selling to try and sell and make a little bit extra money. But, but again, you want, you want to cover a need rather than just make some short-term money for sort of long-term difficulty, if you will, right? Yeah, most definitely. Okay, that's good. That's good, Stuart. Anything else? Any other good tips sort of in the sort of startup phase for companies? Like any other, uh, so beside, beside having sort of multiple offerings and so on. And, and by the way, you mentioned web devs. Like web devs are one of the ones where I always say, find people to collaborate with. Yeah. Right? Find people. Like if you're a web dev, you want to find a SEO company. You want to find a social media company. You want to find some pay-per-click people. And you want to, like, even if you set up a deal with them and just refer people to them, like, that's much better because that way you still get something out of it in the end, right? But you definitely want to, you definitely want to set up something so that you basically end up making more from that one customer because i mean I've, I've initially when i first moved to the philippines i was i was trying to do a little bit of you know selling websites and stuff and and that's like 80 percent a sales job and <laughs> no no time spent actually building websites because you're so busy constantly selling because it's do a job find a new client do a job find a new client and so on right so it's that's a very tough one yeah, it's always a race to the bottom in, in that sort of space, isn't it? Um, yes. But yeah, I think, you know, going back to sort of advice for small companies and generalization, not just agencies and such, I think it's just around um, having that plan and strategy and focusing on who is your customer. You know, what, who are you trying to sell to and what value are you trying to bring to them? And don't, don't try and sell them the farm, basically. I see a lot of um, companies that set up to try and sort of offer too many things or as an agency too too much or as an e-commerce company too product too many products rather than niching down and going you know what i'm the best seo agency for farmers or the best seo agency for 
excuse me, uh, for consultants rather than just being, we do SEO for everybody, um, is have a plan. And I'm just in this, but my business at the moment, you know, and I've sort of got some time to, to sit back and think it's like, who is the person I'm trying to sell to and what's the volume really going to bring them and, and cut out the noise um, because there's just so much competition out there in general across the base of um, agencies and those sort of things that you need to differentiate and stand out from the crowd. Um, and there's still plenty of space out there um, to go for it. But I think, you know, for me, the, the core is strategy, focus, define who you're going to go after and stick to it. And if it doesn't work, stop it really quickly, as you would in a startup, and go into something else. Don't keep smashing your head against the wall. Yeah, but it, and, and I would say one of the biggest issue most most companies, uh, at least the ones I work with, see is like lead generation is very difficult. And I've always found that the more you niche down, the more specific you get about who you serve, the easier lead generation becomes, right? Because if you're trying to hit anyone anywhere, like everyone on planet Earth is bombarded every day with spam mails about I can build your website for $5 or $10 or something, right? But if you... I mean, if you build websites specifically for carpenters or specifically for dentists or whatever, like that, it makes the lead generation so much easier because you have a very, very targeted audience to actually go after, right? And you, your specific case studies that matches them exactly and so on. So it, it just becomes a lot more appealing to them as well, right? Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. It's, um, and again, you know, same, same with me at the moment. I'm sort of looking, well, I'm not, looking at and building out my sort of pipeline and building out some content and such and it makes it a whole lot easier if you niche down so i'm looking at european b2b SaaS companies because everybody deals with the us they look at the us and talk about the us but nobody's talking about what's happening in europe or moving over to apac it yep. just makes life a whole lot easier and especially if you're you know, if you want to offer lead generation out as a service as well you need to be really good at it yourself <laughs> you know yep. so yeah niche, niching is good Excellent. What's uh, what's the biggest sort of management mistake you have ever made, Stuart? <laughs> I think it's not making a decision quick enough to remove somebody. Um, and I'll give you some context around that. I can't sort of say the full thing, but it's just context. Sure. So whenever you hire somebody, you go through that romance of interviewing, the in, you know, getting depending on, again, if it's corporate or a, a larger startup, you know, it's in, in a smaller company, it's a bit different. It's more one-to-one, isn't it? Um, but as you grow bigger, that interview process becomes longer and your colleague interview the person, et cetera, et cetera. So person starts and they start doing stuff and you realize you've made a mistake. But you think, I'll keep on with this. It'll be fine. They'll turn it around. Um, you know, we've got three to six months around sort of an interim period um, around that. And it's not going with my gut and letting people go sooner um, and hoping they would turn around and trying to get them to sort of work to deliver against the goals and KPIs in place. I think, you know, that's that for me, it's an age thing over time. I've learned you've just got to make that decision and get on with it. As hard as it may seem, it's taught me a long time to get there. But when I was sort of running teams in my 30s, early 40s, I didn't make those decisions quick enough. And I paid for it because, you know, it impacted my delivery back to the organization. It impacted my reputation because my team wasn't performing how they should be. Um, so that that's, you know, it's, it's 
not so much a mistake. Well, it is a mistake, but it's more just about trushy gut and sort of lessons learned is it's not bad. You know, it's not a, it may feel uncomfortable, but it's not a bad thing to let people go earlier on and make that decision because the impact they have across the organization or the sales team or other people gets worse as, as time goes on because they can see that they're not the right fit as well. So, you know, for me, that's, that's something as if I run a team again or sort of move into that sort of space where I'm working in a team, it's just that uh, make a decision like that in a heartbeat rather than holding back. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and what, one thing that actually really helped me originally when like I, I, I mean, everyone hates firing people, but I've really struggled with it initially, right? And one of the things that really helped me was exactly what you alluded to, the fact that, you know, when people aren't performing, they know, and they're generally not happy, right? So uh, many years ago, I, I learned the fact that people who have an easy job, that not, doesn't necessarily make them happy, but generally people who are performing well tend to be happy in their job. And therefore, when, when you're actually extending the pain of someone who's not performing, you're basically making their recovery and you're basically making their, the time that it will take them to get back and you know, find another job and so on much, much longer and much, much worse. So therefore, when, you're, when you let people go early, you are actually doing them a favor because they, they don't end up stuck in a job that they are not good at, not delivering and, you know, either an unhappy boss or unhappy people generally around them. Um, so that, yeah. that, that kind of mindset really helped me a lot. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I love it. That's, uh, that's absolutely a key thing. And I think we've all been there, right? I mean, sometimes you're so desperate for resources. You're like, yeah, it will work out. It'll work out. It'll work out. But but I totally agree with you. Sometimes when you have a hunch and you're like, "Oh, I, I stepped in the wrong in the wrong staff member here," you know, it's it's better to take the hit and just let it go and and, and move on. Because for any business, it's all about people. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think also it's that sort of component of how could it be so wrong? Why not spot it in the interview? And sometimes it's just is you know people interview well and come across really well and capable of doing a job it's just they don't fit the thinking or the team or the structure as well as you thought they did um, around that and it's not like you say it's not a bad thing it's a good way of looking at mads actually is you know they're not happy they're in there and they're trying to push themselves as well to do the job or fit in but overall they're probably not feeling the love for the job or the role or the passion um yeah. So by doing that, you're giving them opportunity, like you say, to go and find a role that they can excel at because you, you're basically holding their career back. Exactly. And, and one thing, so, so kind of in regards to that, right, one thing that I see a lot of people do is they're, they're afraid of making the step. And if instead of firing people, they often end up like moving them around to a different mm -hmm. role or something. And... Uh, Two, two concepts that's important, right? One is that, you know, sometimes you have a great person who was put in the wrong role. Or sometimes you have the wrong person who was put in the, in the maybe in the right role, but they're just not the right person for the company, right? And when you have something, when you have someone who's just not a good fit for the company, even though it's uncomfortable, you, you really have to bite the bullet and you have to let them go, 
right? Because just pushing the problem to another department or pushing the problem somewhere else in the business is not going to help you, right? Oh, yeah, it's going to totally. make it worse. And, and the smaller yeah. the business, the more an impact someone like that has, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, I don't know if it's a generic term, but we call it a special project. So you've got a desk by the door and you're on a special project. It basically means that we're trying to put, you're being moved somewhere so you can't sort of disrupt the business too much, but we don't really know what to do with you, but nobody will make a decision to um, to let you go sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most, most definitely in a small company, you've got to make those decisions quick because you haven't got the fat to allow for, you know, to, to take up that sweat. Whereas in a corporate, people just can get lost. In, in the yeah. halls somewhere um, yeah and 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 particularly so so the one thing that's that's key as well right is that sometimes you you might have a really good person but they've been mismatched to the job and sometimes it's still important to let them go because what you don't want to do like let's say you hire someone for customer service but they suck at it and you move them somewhere else if you don't have the budget and if you don't actually have the need for that individual, then again, for a small business in particular, you're often much better letting them go, right? Just because it's a good person, if that's not what you need at that point in time, again, it can really, really hold your business back to be spending a ton of resources in a place where it's not where you really want to invest at that point in time, right? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's, uh, yeah, make that decision quick and, uh, yeah, you, you don't have those resources. Definitely. Okay, that's good, Stuart. That's good. Um, from, a, from a management perspective, what's, what's sort of one of the most difficult situations you've been in where you've really sort of, you know, really had to make some difficult decisions? And, and how did you go about doing that? Um, I think it was probably quite a while ago around that but it was just looking at structure of teams and going through well the redundancy process and making those sort of decisions it's yeah. hard um again sort of in a sort of corporate type role oh god when was it the 2000s yeah <laughs> you yeah, know that was quite sort of happening quite a bit and being part of that process and thinking right okay you, you know you've got a, a legal obligation that you go through and all that sort of admin side but morally you know that you're having to let people go that are perfectly capable of doing roles, really good at what they do. But as a company, you can't afford those headcounts anymore. And I think, again, sort of turning that back into a smaller company is as you're hiring people and you're growing and say you start, you know, you get to that place, you've got seed investment in Series A and suddenly as an agency, you're growing, you've got loads of offices and there's a downturn. That will be the worst moment of your life because... You, 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 like we've just been talking about, you let people go because they're not doing the jobs or whatever it may be. But if you're a manager running a team and you know you've got 10 people and they're all perfectly capable, they've got mortgages, you know the families, all that sort of thing. But because of economic reasons, you have to let them go. It's just, it's 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 heartbreaking. And you've got it's, to be really sort of, not aggressive, that's not the right word. You've got to be, yeah, you've got to detach yourself from that. But it's... Yeah, it's not something, I think, as a piece of advice, as a, as a sort of company that's um, growing and managing people, always think about that in your back of your mind. If you've got to do that, you know, grow and scale accordingly. Don't just take headcounts on and go crazy um, because, yeah, that is a hard process to go through. 
Yeah, and I've been there, and, and I mean, we, we've I've definitely been in organizations where you know where you feel it's unfair, and I mean, when I worked in IBM, for example, you know, it it would be like, oh, you know, the stock price this quarter is horrible. We need to cost cut twenty percent cost, and you know, we need to improve our performance at the same time. And you're like, thanks. <laughs> so I managed hundred people. Now I'm managing eighty, but I have to do much better than I did with hundred. That's that's great. But some, sometimes, but particularly some of some of the very big companies, when you're in the stock exchange and stuff, there's there's all these external forces that just, you know, it it sometimes feels a bit unfair or, or it feels difficult to deal with when it's not because you've been performing lousy or. You know, not because sales drops or whatever, but it's just ex- pure external factors, right? Exactly, yeah. And you, you don't have any barrier impact on that because you know, your team may be smashing yeah. it, doing awesome. But as a company, we've got to cut costs um, around that. And it's a process that has to go through from a sort of legal obligation, um, depending on the country and the district. But it's just, it's hard because you then have to go, well, you know, everybody's smashing it. How, how do I choose? And you, yeah. yeah, it's just just a challenge. And it is unfair because sometimes it is just outside forces, like you say, downturn in stock price, um, the economy as a general, whatever it may be. But you're forced into that position of having to go through that process and do that. And I think, you know, that, that for me is definitely, um, yeah, it's a hard experience. It makes you think about hiring people and bringing them on board and thinking, right, okay, do I really need this headcount? You know, is it what's going to happen etc yeah yeah very good Stuart very good I think this has been an absolutely excellent conversation if uh, if people are eager to get hold of you what's the what's the best place to do that um, so if they want to know more about channel and about me is yep. I have a website called channel as um, it's the actual URL is, and I'll send it for the show notes, is channeladservice.com. And that's basically around indirect sales. You'll understand more about referrals, affiliates, and resellers, that sort of thing. So there's loads of blog content on there, eBooks, and how to build your own reseller program um, around that as well. And then you'll, you'll find... Somewhere on the web, some crazy images of me wearing flowery shirts and uh, and eating pizza from my corporate days. So we, we won't talk about those sites. Oh, sounds uh, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. That's awesome. I will. I'll make sure all your your data is included in the show notes, Stuart. And uh, thank you very much for joining me today. Hey, no, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's good to good to hear somebody else from corporate land as well. I didn't realize you're from IBM sworn enemies in the day it was, it was quite ironic yeah ibm yes. and microsoft weren't, weren't allowed to talk to anybody from those companies oh my gosh that uh yeah definitely definitely so thank you very much Stuart, and to the audience we will talk again next week thank you very much thank you for listening to the mad singers management podcast please leave a review it means the world to us You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.